Good morning again, church. If you have your Bibles, we are in first, uh, first, first Colossians. It's been a long time. We are in the only Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. I wanted, there was a couple more announcements that I didn't make, and that is that, um, beginning Wednesday on our website, I said I was going to start the book of Habakkuk, but uh, I'm going to take a few Wednesdays off and kind of recuperate a little bit, and so, uh, Pastor Bruce has been just a, a great assistant for me and covering for me. So he's actually going to start the book of First Thessalonians on uh, yeah on on uh, Wednesday night. So it's exciting. I mean, we talk about the rapture, talk about you know the coming of Jesus and all that stuff. And so um, I encourage you to come out for Wednesday or tune in online because we're going to do it online and stuff. And so uh, uh, with that, and also the daily walks are uh, are there in, in the back for you guys to pick up for June and. I wanted to show you this. In case I needed to wear a mask this morning, I went and bought this one. I'm a Donald Duck collector. And so, it says, quarantine 2020. And so, you know, I, bought, I haven't worn the mask, but I bought it just, it's Donald Duck, and it's a mask. And so, I have it in my collection anyway. I thought it'd be, so if you think I should wear a mask, I'll put this on for you guys, but not now. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. If you need a Bible, uh, the guys will bring one to your seat. You're taking your chance, getting close to these guys. But uh. <laughs> Next angel. There you go. Starting in verse 15, we read, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. As I mentioned already, the title of my message this morning is Church Reboot 2020. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this building as your church, Lord, and to be able to just sing praises to your name, to study your word. Lord, thank you for the folks that have tuned in online and are listening, Lord, made it a priority, even at home, Lord, to get into your word and to worship with us as well. And now, Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that you'd give us not only information, but application in our lives, that when we're done, we are changed. We are drawn closer into our relationship with you, Lord God, that you would inspire us, Lord, to do even greater things for you in the months and years to come, if you should tarry. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us or is listening to us that does not have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, They're not born again. They don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven. Lord, would you especially touch their heart and life today that they would see their need to turn to you in faith. Now bless this time together, we pray. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you heard the story about a guy who fell in love with an opera singer. And he hardly knew her since his only view of the singer was through binoculars from the third story balcony in the theater. But he was convinced that he could live happily ever after 
married to a voice like that. He, he scarcely noticed that she was a little bit older than he was. He didn't really care that she walked with a limp. Her, her mezzo-soprano voice would take them through whatever would come, thick or thin. Well, after a whirlpool romance and a hurry-up ceremony, they were off to their honeymoon together. She began to prepare for their first night together. As he watched, his chin dropped to his chest. She plucked out her glass eye, plopped it into a container in the nightstand. She pulled off her wig, ripped off her false eyelashes, yanked out her dentures, unstrapped her artificial leg, and smiled at him as she slipped off her glasses that hid her hearing aid. Stunned and horrified, he gasped, For goodness sake, woman, sing, sing, sing. It didn't go over any better first service. But what did you expect? <laughs> As Christians, we have gone through a radical transformation for the better. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have been transformed. We died with Christ and that old sinful nature of ours was crucified with Him. But we've also been raised in Christ. We have a new standing with God. Before we were lost on our way to hell, sending ourselves there in rebellion against God, today we have a new standing. We've been found. We've been saved. We are on our way to heaven. Now, with that standing, that new standing before God, it should lead us into a new mindset. Now remember, we looked at this new mindset in the beginning of the chapter. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In other words, our focus is heaven. It's set on things above. Our mindset is not on this earth. It's on Jesus. Now, along with that new transformation that has taken place, we've also been given a new wardrobe, some new clothes. And we looked at, last time together, which has probably been a month or so now, how to take off those old clothes, those grave clothes, if you will, uh, those fleshly deeds that are part of us that died with Christ, and we're to put on the grace clothes, those attributes of the Spirit that are a reflection of Christ. You see, as we come to these verses here, verses 15 to 17, Paul lays out for us the importance of three things, if you're taking notes, three attitudes that we are to have in our lives that will affect our actions as a body of Christ, as we gather together again. They are a reminder for us of what's important as we start to get back together again as a church for this church reboot 2020. We need to remember three things. The peace of God, the word of God, and the will of God. First and foremost, the peace of God. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, I want to point out here that Paul is talking about 
peace within the body of Christ. A peace between brothers and sisters in the Lord. You are called into one body, he says. So let the peace of God rule within your hearts, within the body of Christ. Now, Paul does deal with, in Philippians 4, verses uh, verse 6 and, and, and 7, uh, with having peace during difficult circumstances, during trying times and hardships and trials. He says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, that type of peace deals specifically with our circumstances. Instead of worrying about our circumstances, we're to seek God and in turn, he gives us that peace, a peace that passes understanding. A peace that says, God, I don't really know what's going to happen in my job. I don't really know how I'm going to provide for my family with the fallout from COVID-19 and all our economy and the future. But I know this. I know that you know what is best for me. And I'm going to trust you 100% trusting in the sovereignty of God. And as you commit it to the Lord, the Lord gives you this peace that truly does surpass all understanding. It's a peace that only God can give. In fact, Isaiah 26, 3 tells us, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. A peace that guards our hearts, guards our minds. A peace that sets our hearts at ease and quiets our hearts and minds even in the midst of a pandemic. When the world is going crazy, the world looks at you and says, how come you have this peace? It's because of Jesus. And it's a peace that relies on the faithfulness of God and the power of God and the love of God. And if I truly understand, and if I truly believe that God loves me and that nothing happens in my life that doesn't first pass through His throne, the throne of God, and meets God's allowance for my benefit and my good, then I can be at peace. You can be at peace. Now, That's a piece that relates to our circumstances. But Paul here is dealing with the love and peace we should have one for another. In fact, in verse 14, Paul said, But above all these things, put on love, which is a bond of perfection. I like the way the writer of Hebrews puts this in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Like that word pursue, for pursue peace, it's like an animal going after its prey. You know, I watch these videos online sometimes, and, and, and I like the animal videos, and you watch them, and you know, and it's like the, the lion and they're circling its prey, and the gazelle or the deer, whatever, takes off, and the lion goes after it. Or I've watched, you know, in situations where I've seen the, the snakes. I watch snake videos because I, I hate snakes. And I, so I watch the videos. It's, it's like Mufasa. <laughs> I watch them. And, and they're pursuing after its prey. And it's going after its prey. And oh, it's going to get them. It's going to get them. And you're waiting. And then they stop the video. So you don't actually see the, the carnage, I guess. But, but what's my point? It's a pursuit. <laughs> They're pursuing after, you know, the animal is in hot pursuit of the prey. That should be us towards peace with one another. It's peace between one another, making it your passion, your priority. Pursue peace, seek peace. Now, 
understand this does not mean to compromise with evil in order to have any sort of of peace you can get. Rather, it means to be peaceful, not disagreeable, not argumentative, disruptive, or nerving. Simply put, probably not put in the best of way, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Especially as Christians with all this stuff going on with, with COVID-19 and, and social distancing and, and conspiracy theories and seeing our freedom of speech being taken away and the wide array of differences of opinions about it. We need not check our Christianity at the door and let people have it. Let me say this. If someone is not wearing a mask in the grocery store, don't yell at them. Don't give them dirty looks. And if someone is wearing a mask at the grocery store, don't make fun of them. They have some very real concerns. You don't know anything about their health. And let me say this. Please don't pick fights with people on social media. So easy to do. Just not the right thing to do. Be at peace. Be at peace. See, Paul's words to the church in Colossae ring true to us today, just as they did back then. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, without the love of God, you'll never have the peace of Christ you know, among each other. We must put love at its forefront. Remember, we talked about this. Love is the, is the girdle that holds everything else together. Paul said, above tender mercies, above kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering, bearing one another, forgiving one another, you must have love. And peace is a byproduct of that love. If, if you and I are loving each other first and foremost, and adding to that love tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and, and long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, that's a recipe for peace. Those of you that, that, are, that are cooks, and you look at the recipe, these are all recipes for peace. Again, the first thing that Paul points out when it comes to the peace of God, he says in verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. The word for rule is the word umpire or referee. It's one who arbitrates. Let the peace of God umpire your heart. Think about a baseball game. If no one paid any attention or listened to the umpire, that game would quickly become a confused mess and, and chaos. It'd be a mess. And in this family we call the church, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be conflicts. There's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be personality conflicts. We can make some bad calls. That's why we need the peace of God to umpire our hearts, to referee those situations. God, as our umpire, never makes a bad call. God, when he says you're out, you're out. When he says you're safe, you're safe. He knows the rules he made them. So let the peace of God rule in your heart. It means to to see to that you're... Conduct will promote the peace of God. Paul put it this way in Romans twelve eighteen: If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And here's the sad thing. There are, there are a lot of Christians that, that are walking around that won't do this. And they got bitterness in their hearts and they have unforgiveness in their hearts and, and unresolved conflicts in their lives. And, and they're doing anything but seeking peace. See, seeking peace can be controlling our actions and making sure that you've done everything you could to listen to the other side and not be so hasty because sometimes things are more complex than they seem and sometimes there is some information missing. 
Proverbs 18.13 tells us, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame to him. So hear a matter out before you respond and then seek to bring peace between you and them. Now here's the problem. Though they ask, well, how can I go to my brother when I can't resolve how I feel in my heart? Well, here's the answer. Look to Jesus. And then see that other person as a child of God. And understand, just as a parent, as, as their flaws are and imperfections are to me, they are more so to God who sees all and knows all. Yet He still loves them just the same, and so should we. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. But man, don't we regard people according to the flesh? That's our old nature. We judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. We, we, we judge ourselves by what we meant and others by what they do. But the reality of that is it needs to be turned around, reversed. We need to judge ourselves by our actions and others by their intentions. But you say, but I don't know what their intentions were. Exactly. That's right. You don't. That's why above all else we put on love. Love is a bond of perfection. And if you put on love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long, is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So when you don't know what their intentions were, love believes the best, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. In other words, love chooses to treat someone like a Christian, Christ-like, because of the love we give that person, the benefit of the doubt. Again, if I want the peace of God to rule in my life, then I have to let the love of God first rule in my life. And since God loves me so much, with all my quirks and all my imperfections, then I can certainly, for the sake of peace, love my brother or sister in the Lord. And let me say this, love is not blind. In fact, love sees more, but chooses to see less. Love sees more because it sees more and chooses to see less. Again, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have all knowledge but have not love, what does it profit? So if you want to have the peace of God ruling in your heart, don't judge others by their actions and yourself by your intentions. Judge yourself by your actions and others by their intentions. In other words, be harder on yourself and, and, then, and then on them and choose to see them in Christ. It's been said you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. God can change your heart, but He won't change your mind. In other words, God's not going to violate the free will that He's given to us, but if you allow Him, He will change your heart towards that person that you're not at peace with. If you change your mind, God will change your heart. Now, if you're still not at peace with your brother or sister, then the Bible gives clear, specific instructions on keeping peace. Shoot them so they can rest in peace. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> it's a joke. Although it's been said that Christianity is the only group that we shoot our wounded. That shouldn't be true. But there's God's word to, to, to deal with that. Matthew chapter 18, verses 5 through 18. It's clear what Jesus said in dealing with a, a, a sinning brother or sister. You know, If they've sinned against you, you go to that person by yourself. Don't bring an entourage. Don't, get, don't 
campaign and get a bunch of people to come against that person. You go by them themselves, tell him or her their sin. If they receive what you have to say, they'll have reconciliation. That's what Matthew 18 is all about, reconciliation. What Jesus is saying is no matter how difficult the situation may be, you do whatever you can to make it right. Again, it goes back to Hebrews 12:14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let the peace of God umpire your heart amidst the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right. Let, let it be your counselor. I mean, how much turmoil and misery we would avoid if we just permitted the peace of God to umpire our hearts. I mean, how many words would he hold held back if the peace of God were, were the arbitrator in our lives? How many sleepless nights would we forego if we did that? I mean, how the church needs this too. So many hang-ups in the church. People walking around with bitterness and unforgiveness, which the Bible says really affects our relationship with God. And if you have bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, it will hinder your prayer life. It will hinder your walk with the Lord. And it just plain eats you up inside. God's Word tells us over and over again, deal with that. That's what it's about, letting the peace of God rule in your heart. I mean, think about what God did for us. We were enemies with God. We had wronged God. We had sinned against God and God was totally in His right to destroy us and have nothing to do with us. But what did He do? He sought to make peace. He initiated a great peace process between us and Him. For God sent His only begotten Son whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He came to sacrifice for us. He lived a sinless life and became sin for us by shedding His blood upon the cross. We were lost, we were enemies with God and of God, and not at all at peace with God, but now we're found, we have peace, and now friends with God. That's God's model for peace. That's what He wants us to practice. Now the final thing I want to bring up about the peace of God ruling in our hearts is not to be fooled by a a false peace. Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes our own desires can overrule God umpiring our hearts. The story I read about a girl who had signed a contract to teach at a certain school, but in August she received another offer from a school closer to where she wanted to live, so she broke the original contract. She failed to act on the biblical principle in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5 tells us, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in the fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay it. Had she applied that verse, she would not have done what she did. But here's what the department chairman had to say about how she justified what she did. She simply told him, I have a piece about it. But the chairman responded rather sarcastically saying, isn't that lovely? She's got the piece and I've got the pieces. I believe that girl missed the will of God. She violated a principle in which if she had been alert and applied it to her situation, she would have had clear guidance in that situation. See, if the peace of God contradicts the Word of God, then it's not the peace of God. Let me say that again. If the peace of God contradicts the Word of God, then it's not the peace of God. So the man who says, well, I have a peace about divorcing my wife. The man who says, well, I've prayed and I've fasted and I've sought God and I really have a peace about leaving her. I say to them, Jonah, he also had a peace. God told him to go to Nineveh, but he disobeyed and headed in the opposite direction towards Tarsus. And lo and behold, there was this boat waiting for him to take him to Tarsus. And Jonah could have thought, 
It must be God's will. Uh, there's a boat here. I have a piece about it. There was a boat waiting for him. Because there, are, there, was all, there will always be a boat waiting to take you in the opposite direction of God's will, courtesy of the devil. Satan loves to give you a false peace. He loves to feed on our fleshly desires and make us think that we're in God's will because we have this some sort of pseudo-peace. That that kind of peace is really just a small sense of satisfaction that comes from fulfilling selfish desires. In the same way that Jonah had a peace about disobeying God that he was able to sleep right through that storm. But Jonah had a well of a time learning to discern between God's peace ruling his heart and his own desires ruling his heart. Listen, our hearts can't be the only criteria for determining God's will. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's where the Word of God comes in. If you have the Word of God dwelling in your heart, then the peace of God will rule in your heart, and you won't violate God's Word or the principles found in God's Word. That brings us to our second point, the Word of God. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That word dwell there means to be at home in. It's one thing for the believer to be in the Word. It's another thing for the Word to be in the believer. Living. Comfortably instructing, directing, rebuking, confirming. The idea is to allow the Bible access to your whole entire life. Now the word of God that Paul is talking about here is not just the little red letter parts in your Bible. It's the entirety of Scripture. We know all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when Paul says in verse 16 of Colossians, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's talking about an action, a choice. It's your choice. Let God's word from cover to cover dwell in your heart or don't. You have been given a choice. And then it says richly in all wisdom means abundantly or exceedingly with all wisdom. Now I can think of many areas in my life that were not to exceed in. The posted speed limit. We know that. Uh, Do not exceed recommended dosages. We know that. Do not exceed recommended weight limits. All of which I've done at some time or another and paid the price for it. Many things were not to exceed. But when it comes to the word of God, we're told to exceed. To be filled with as much of God's word as we possibly can take in. So how do we let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Three things. Three things to take note of. Hear it. Handle it and hide it. Hear it first. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Revelation two seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to keep ourselves in a place of hearing the word of God taught. That's why it's so important. You know, not gathering here as a church, but online, listen to it. Gathering as church, be here Wednesday, be here Tuesday, men's or women's study, Sunday morning. You know, I'm thankful we're able to get both Wednesdays in and, and Sundays online so you can tune in if you can't come in. Sermon Sunday sermons online so you can tune in if you can't come in. We even have an FM transmitter that you can actually tune in so you can, can hear and, and, and if you can't come in. Folks, this is a staple. 
This is essential to our spiritual well-being. We cannot get enough of God's Word. You know, we have a nation today. uh, I mean, we have the most amount of churches, yet we are so incredibly illiterate biblically. I read a Gallup poll taken of 1,002 young people. I don't know why they added two more people. It's 1,000. I would say two more, okay? They found that almost half did not know that Jesus turned water into wine at the Cana wedding. Nearly two-thirds couldn't identify a quote from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount or the relation of the road of Damascus to the Apostle Paul's conversion. About one in ten thought Moses was one of Jesus' twelve apostles. I put a large portion of blame on the churches today in America. Yeah, they're preaching, but they're leaving the Bible out. I found an interesting article by Thomas R. Schreiner. He's a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He writes this concerning preaching in our churches today. He says this, quote, Their preaching often focuses on steps to a successful marriage or how to raise children in our culture. Sermons on family issues, of course, are fitting and needed, but two problems often surface. First, what the scriptures actually say about these subjects is often ignored. And secondly, and perhaps more seriously, such sermons are almost always preached on the horizontal level. They become the congregation's staple week in and week out, and the theological worldview that permeates God's Word and that provides the foundation for all of life is passed over in silence. Our pastors turn into moralists like Dear Abby, giving advice on how to live a happy life week after week. And that's a problem. Many people don't even realize they're not getting the Word of God because what these preachers are preaching are good moral suggestions. And that leaves people biblically ignorant because the Bible is not being taught. And that's the reason that I see that our country is getting worse and worse is because good, solid Bible teaching is getting to be a thing of the past. And as a result, the world's philosophies have replaced God's principles. That's why the churches need to get back to verse by verse teaching of the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. That's why young people especially need to start making it. These young pastors coming up to the pulpit need to start making it their practice to teach expositionally, line upon line, precept upon precept. So when it comes to the Word of God, we need to hear it. Let the Word dwell in you richly by putting yourself in a place to hear it on a daily basis. When it comes to the Word of God, secondly, we need to handle it. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Study the Word and then use it. Give it away. You know, the best way to learn God's Word is by sharing it, what you learned with someone else. You know, you're talking to someone and, and they may be sharing a problem they're having. Use God's Word. Well, you know, David had this problem. This is how he dealt with it. Moses, man, he had this problem. This is how he dealt with it. Man, you don't want to be like the Corinthian church. They had the same problem. Use God's Word to encourage one another. Have family devotions. Get to work early. Do a Bible study. Volunteer to teach in the children's ministry. That's handling the Word of God. And thirdly, when it comes to the Word of God, hide it. That's what David says in Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorize Scripture. That's the key to allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. See, do you allow the Bible to determine all that you do? 
If you do, then there will be two results that will happen. First, we will be, in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. We'll be teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching means the impartation of truth. Admonishing means to exhort or warn people about behavior and false teaching and things like that. Both are done in wisdom, and that can only happen if we're allowing God's Word to dwell in us richly. God's Word is a guide that we can teach and admonish from. Again, there's a lot of teaching going on, a lot of wisdom that's out there, but it's definitely not biblical wisdom. People say, well, you know what? All paths lead to God. Well, no, Jesus is very specific. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Yeah, all, all paths lead to God, but once you stand before God, there's going to be a division. <laughs> now, people say, well, doesn't the Bible teach God helps those who help themselves? That's ah, not in the Bible. In fact, it's the opposite. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. And then there's a song out there again, just follow your heart. You know, Disney's real good at that. <laughs> Don't follow your heart. That's the worst thing you can do. As we looked at already, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. In fact, Christ's words in Matthew 15, 19-20 says very specifically, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man. So much of our philosophies today are based off of songs or movies or TV and not the Word of God. So let the Word of God dwell in us richly to hear it, to handle it, to hide it in our hearts. It's the key to conducting ourselves in all wisdom. Now, the result of that is going to be producing in our hearts a heart of worship. When there is peace in the heart, when the Word of God dwells in your heart, the natural flow will be praise from our lips. Natural flow from spending time in God's Word is it will produce a heart and attitude of worship. And that brings us to our third and final point, the will of God. Look at verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three things when it comes to the will of God, and then we will close with this. First, it is the will of God to praise Him. It's the will of God to praise Him. Ephesians 5, 17-21, a similar passage to what we just read. Paul there says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Christianity is a singing faith. Church history reveals that singing is linked to revivals. That's why we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord, according to Ephesians 5, Colossians 3.16, were to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Again, that word admonishing in verse 16 is the word exhortation. It means something said in order to urge somebody strongly to do something. I need to urge you strongly to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, even if you can't hold a tune in a bucket. Sing anyway. The psalms that he's talking about here are the same psalms that we have in our Old Testament. They would just put music to them the same way we do today. The hymns that Paul talks about were expressions of praise to God. It is thought, actually, that some portions of the New Testament 
such as Colossians 1, 15-20 and Philippians 2, 6-11 were actually hymns sung in the early church. And then the third thing is spiritual songs emphasize testimonies. Special songs that we do. Um, you know, that maybe for offering songs. Songs that produce in our hearts hearts of worship. Songs that get us ready to receive God's Word. But we need to remember who we're singing to. This is worship to our Lord. Sadly, in a lot of churches, it's just entertainment. You know, that's a good song. Let's do that song. I strongly encourage us to spend time in praise and song to our Lord. I like what Kent Hughes had said. He said, when the buckets of our lives are full to the brim with God's Word, we cannot move without spilling forth in song. Music is the window of the soul. How is it in your souls? I mean, the Word-filled, Spirit-filled Christian overspills flows with hearts to the Lord, songs from the Lord. That's the will of the Lord. Then secondly, it is the will of the Lord that, look at verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So secondly, it's the will of the Lord to bring Jesus into everything that we say and do. And then beyond that, to do all things as unto Him. That's the will of God for your life. And when we do everything is unto the Lord, it turns every area in our lives into a spiritual pursuit with spiritual opportunities. If we're doing it unto the Lord, then your job is no longer a humdrum, oh, there's a job i got to go to. It's a ministry. You know, you, you guys go on to school, you know, oh, i got to go to school. No, it's a ministry. It's something God's given you to do, the opportunities to serve Him. Your job is no longer a job, it's an assignment from God. It's a platform to show forth His goodness and His heart and His creativity. Some of you can impact more people in a month through the people you come in contact with than than a pastor can do in a year. But to do that, you have to see your job, your business, your school, something that you do is unto the Lord and then obviously you need to live accordingly. For those of you parents, you apply this to raising your kids. Raising your kids is not something you do because oh, I'm just a mom and dad. Someone's got to do it. No. It's something you do because God has entrusted these children to you and you're going to raise them in a way that brings glory to God. So you put that effort in and you pour the resources into them. You're doing it as unto the Lord. It makes all the difference in the world. Something changes in our lives when you do what you do because you're doing it to the Lord. Guys, taking out the trash. Oh, oh Lord, I'll just take out the trash to your glory. Here I go, you know. Ladies, you, know, you can apply that to your chores. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. I'm not cleaning this house for my husband. I'm doing it for the Lord. <laughs> he sure does make a mess. Anyway, not the Lord, the husband. <laughs> Lord cleans up messes. We make the messes. Think about all the things we do. Are they spiritual activities? Or are they just a grind? If there are things in your life that are still a grind, then you're missing out on what they could be. They could be spiritual pursuits that produce spiritual opportunities. Let me encourage you, don't divide your life into two categories, the spiritual and the non-spiritual. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because you exist for God. He doesn't exist for you. You see, if we would but live like that, we would impact our world so much. If we just live for the glory of God in mind and all that we do. The people who have lived for God's glory over the many years and centuries with the forefront in their minds are the people who have been most effective in their service for the Lord. I tell you this, I want to live 
But for however much God gives me to be on this earth, I want to live for God's glory in everything I do, everything I say. And that's the will of God for us as a church as we go into 2020 and beyond. Finally, the last thing we need to take note of, the will of God is having a thankful heart. It is the will of the Lord to have a thankful heart. Now, this exhortation has been in just about, it's been in every verse that we've just read this morning. Verse 15, we're to let the peace of God rule in our hearts and be thankful. Verse 16, we're to be singing with grace or thanksgiving in our hearts to the Lord. Verse 17, we're to do all, do all things in the name of Jesus our Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul is just reiterating what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There is no doubt one of the top priorities for believers is to be thankful. And here's why. Thankfulness puts our focus on what God is doing and not on what God is not doing. Let me say that again. Thankfulness puts our focus on what God is doing and not on what God is not doing. Think about this. Our old sin nature has great vision. I mean great vision when it comes to what is happening in our lives right now. We know of all the things that we think should be happening in our lives right now. How come God doesn't allow this to happen? How come, God, you're not allowing that to happen? How come, God, this is happening? And we act like spoiled children. Even though God could be blessing us in 20 different ways from Sunday, major ways, but it's our flesh that that doesn't pick up on that. It only picks up on, on what God isn't doing. Those one or two areas where God isn't doing what we want. Those couple of areas where things aren't just what I would like. Our flesh can spot those things a mile away. And then when we spot them, that's what we focus on. But what a heart of thankfulness does is it lifts our eyes above that and focuses our heart on what Jesus is doing in our lives. And when we do that, most of the time we find out that God is doing way far more than we thought. And the stuff that we thought that God should be doing is not that important any longer. So we need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. We need to find the things that we can be thankful for and express them to God. And folks, this is the last part of the peace process. It's so important that we express our thankfulness to God. It takes us to a whole new level. The flesh wants us dwelling on what is wrong. Thankfulness puts us up to what is right and good. And then the Expression of thankfulness connects us to the source of all that is right and all that is good, which is our Heavenly Father. That's the cycle we want again. So as we finish up this morning, three attitudes we're to have in our lives that will affect the actions of the body of Christ. Let the peace of God arbitrate, lead us through the decisions in life. Allow the Word of God to settle to be at home in your heart. Hear it, handle it, hide it. And finally, know that the will of God is to sing psalms, and, and hymns and spiritual songs to bring to Jesus every area of our lives by honoring Him in everything we say, everything we do. Have that heart of thanksgiving, recognizing all that Christ has done for us. Blessed are we if we not only hear these things, but if we do them, we put them into practice. And as we close, I think everyone's a believer here, but, but if you're not, I want to introduce you to, to the one that can make all these things possible. It's Rakas Raza. Now, Rakas, no. Rakas can't make these things possible. Let me turn it off. Uh, 
I had a heart attack. Come on. I, I didn't turn off my phone. <laughs> Cut me some grace here, right? Be praying for Wakas. He's in Pakistan. He had a fever, and he says it's allergies. I don't know how you can have a fever with allergies, but that's what he said he was. So he wasn't sure if he's going to make it home or not. He's supposed to be flying in tomorrow, um, but be praying for him. But back to what I was saying. <laughs> the peace of God, the word of God, the will of God only comes if you know God. If you've experienced the peace of, of God by coming to him, asking forgiveness of your sin, repenting of your sin. And if you've not done that, or if you're listening online, and you've not done that, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, just just go to him. And say, Lord, I turn to you today. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I commit my life to you this morning. And God will do that work in your heart and in your life. And if you've done that online, please let us know. Send us an email. Send us a note. Let us know that you have. We'll get you a Bible. And if you want to do that here this morning, Come up and talk to me. I'll put my mask on if you want. It's a Donald Duck mask, but still it's okay. I'll put it on. I'll talk to you. I'll give you a Bible. We'll pray together. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity we have. Just to say thanks. Lord, I'm thankful that that you performed a miracle in my life. Lord, I'm thankful that, that I think we as a church are thankful you brought us all together as a church today. Lord, we are most thankful for our salvation. Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you for opening up our eyes and letting us see our sin, Lord, and then to see the cross and you sending your son Jesus to die upon that cross, to take away every sin we've ever committed and then give us the promise of your Holy Spirit, the promise of heaven, the hope of heaven, the hope of everlasting life with you. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone that has not given their heart and life to you, Lord, that they would do so this morning. Turn from their sin and turn to you today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for so much. And we just want to continue just to close this in a worship to you for all you've done. We praise you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.